technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... Up to now, if I have wanted to let a computer know that I have an information request for it, I have to change my behavior. Right. I have to find a box with a screen, and I have to either use a keyboard or touch and swipe or enter some kind of something to let the computer know what it is that I want from it. But now with smart speakers, this is where we start seeing the power of computing moving out of these boxes with small screens or screens at all and into our environment. So becoming ambient computing. You're listening to The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. Generation wireless technology is about to lighten our load. Edge computing means the heavy lifting of crunching numbers for everything from augmented reality to video games won't be done on our hips or our desktops. It'll all be done somewhere else. Today we see it in devices like smart speakers. Tomorrow is up to us to invent. For insight into how we get there, I turned to Leslie Shannon at Nokia and admitted I want her job. I do have a good title, don't I? <laughs> Head of ecosystem? Okay, I get that. But it's the trend scouting that really gets to me. Yes. And um, and, and so what that title actually means, it does take a little bit of uh, uh, deciphering. Um, ecosystem is kind of a, it's a bit of a code word for saying that I'm not looking at telecommunications. I'm actually looking at the wider ecosystem of just technology in general. And so... So for me, the even, I mean, my title sounds cool, but the even cooler part is that um, I'm not, oops, sorry. Oh, there's the technology coming in. Uh, technology again, oh my God. Um, so, yeah, so the, so the really cool part is that because that ecosystem indicates the rest of the bigger world, wider beyond uh, telecommunications, my role is actually to look at technical advances in industries outside of telecommunications to understand what things are happening out there that will require some kind of network support, but that are happening regardless of what we do in our industry. And, and so therefore, it's, it's, I'm drawing a picture of the emerging networks, the emerging network demand, um, completely outside in. And which means, of course, that I get to spend my time looking at things like augmented reality, machine learning for consumer, machine learning for enterprise, uh, all of these really fabulous science fiction today kinds of things that are eye-opening and exciting and scary and need deep thought and are going to change our lives. Well, it's interesting that you point out that as someone who collects a paycheck from Nokia, that the focus isn't explicitly on what does this mean as far as the telecommunications industry, because you need to think bigger. But I, I suspect that it all really comes back to connectivity. No matter what the next generation of technology provides, I would argue that it's inevitable that it is going to require some form of connectivity to the Internet. Exactly, exactly. And so the, the services, the basic services that we provide are the absolute center of everything that is coming, uh, no matter how big, no matter how small, connectivity is there. However, 
so you know so yes there's an opportunity for us to to be this 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 layer that connects everything um however that's actually quite a, a parallel to electricity you need electricity for all of it too mm-hmm. and so you know so the u- utility layer that's always there that's not going away but we're not interested in being a utility neither are our customers and and so the question is how far can we leverage the networks? Can we leverage the networks to actually provide services for our customers um, and truly differentiate uh, our offerings with those kinds of things? And so that's that's really the question mark. And that's really where understanding the demand and the need from the people out there, uh, that actually feeds into our product development and helps us develop not just connectivity, but the things that are going to be different and that are going to change our lives that will ride on top of the connectivity. I suppose to, to take your electricity analogy to uh, the next level, it, we don't think about electricity running through our walls anymore. And so you don't want to be focused on, well, let's talk about power outlets, you know, because we're going to need a lot of power outlets. Precisely. Uh, we're talking about what you're going to plug into that 21st century power outlet in the first place. And I love that you break down what those things are that will plug into the 21st century version of the electricity grid, that that telecommunications grid, in the form of early signals. So we can look at technology that's starting today that is going to have a tremendous impact on our lives, not just in the future, but is already starting to. And one of the ones that interests me is the rise of the voice assistant. Almost every single room in my home has an Alexa smart speaker in it. And Microsoft, not too long ago, believed that the voice assistant in a connected home is going to be a paradigm shift of the same magnitude as the touch screen or the mouse. Do you buy that? I completely buy it. I also have, um, in fact, I should say the name because I'm at home right now. And if I say the name, it'll turn on the speaker. But I have this the same kind. <laughs> I was worried about it when I said Alexa. I have the same kind of, of smart speaker in and in every room in my house and in my car. And um and and you know and I granted you know I live in America. I live in California, and so you know we're 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 ahead of the curve on this. But I tell you, you know, for anybody out there who has not yet experienced what a smart speaker is like in the home, it is absolutely absolutely magic and i and i i actually use the word magic you know with thought because to be able it, using a smart speaker and being able to use voice commands for things makes you realize that the way that we interface with computers now and up to now is artificial so up to now if i have wanted to let a computer know that i have a, an information request for it i have to change my behavior right. i have to find a box with a screen and i have to either use a keyboard or touch and swipe or enter some kind of something to let the computer know what it is that i want from it but now with smart speakers this is where we start seeing the power of computing moving out of these boxes with small screens or screens at all, and into our environment. So becoming ambient computing. And I can just say, you know, um, uh, uh, Alexa, what's the weather today? Oh, oh good heavens. What kind of a demo is that? Did it just fail you? <laughs> it's, 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 it did just fail me. That's terrible. Well, well you know, it, 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 it's actually interesting that you point that out because that's kind of where we are in the early stages of this technology. The adoption rate is remarkable in that it's it's growing. 
I like to say that I personally live about five to 10 years in the future. I built a smart home 15 years ago mm. and only now are people really starting to see that as a thing. But my problem is, is I've had to drag my poor suffering wife <laughs> kicking and screaming into the 21st century because she, w the joke is, is that she's got a magnetic plate in her forehead. She walks into a room and the technology fails her. But, and this, this is exactly what just happened with you, is you call for it, it wasn't there. But those types of things are going away. We're, we're resolving those issues quite quickly. We are resolving those issues. And we're also resolving issues like language issues. Oh, that's the biggest one, isn't it? It is the biggest one. But it's, it's coming the same way that, um, you know, smartphones were all in English to begin with, you know, that the language support comes, um, you know, big languages, small languages, they all will be there um, eventually. But it's, it's the, um, it's the enablement of, um, it's not just the information, but it's the enablement of other systems that's really powerful with, with voice commands. And the thing is that with voice commands, my entire family participates, everyone in the family uses the smart speaker every single day um and and for and for different things you know i uh uh you know i, I caught my son cheating on his math homework I, I was in the next room and i heard him going you know oh voice assistant uh what is 62 times 927 you know and, and here's the yes voice assistant with the answer and i'm like hey that's cheating and you remember when we were in high school they told us you know you got to learn these things because you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket everywhere you go <laughs> all your time right exactly well wrong it's and the thing is it's the naturalness of that interface and that that's actually what I want to emphasize here, mm. um, because that's that's the important thing. That's the, the unlocking of the computing and having it move into our environment in a natural way where we do not need to change the way we behave anymore in order to get a computer to support us. And so what this does, it actually opens up the power of computing to all kinds of um, uh, communities and, and uh, demographics that have not had a good access to computing before. So the very young, the very old, the disabled, um, the illiterate, if you can make a sound, um, you can actually now get access to computing in a way that wasn't available before. But we're also, and so, and so, the, so the more natural way of computing, um, that's a huge step. But, you know, okay, does that have anything much to do with our industry? Uh, not directly so much. And, and to be honest, in my role, I am looking for ways in which money can be made, new revenues can be found. And so voice itself, not so much in that category. But where it gets very interesting is where you start thinking about new services that can be delivered over these new interfaces. And so the services that we've had so far have been very information oriented or very um, uh, visually oriented. Now we're opening up the world of sound. And, and so the kinds of things that we're going to be able to, um, to run as services, as, you know, as an example, and, and, and what I do in my job is I look for things that are out there in the world, and then I imagine how they might spin forward into uh, a telco environment. So, so I just want to be clear, the examples that I give are not companies that are actively partnering with telcos today. They're just, they're examples of things that could. So just to make very make it very clear. Um, but uh, there's one, um, nor are they endorsements of any of the companies. I also want to say that. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, uh, but for example, there's a company out there called um, Beyond Verbal. Um, and they're an app company and they've developed an app that's called uh, Moody's. And it, um, uh, you, 
you put, you turn it on and it listens to somebody speaking and every 20 seconds, it gives you an assessment of the dominant emotion of that speaker. And that's out there now. It's been out there for a couple of years. It's a lot of fun. I actually find it to be quite accurate. It's language independent, uh, you know, very interesting. Sidebar, a lot of really interesting new developments being done in machines being able to understand human emotions. But that's 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 another topic. Oh, that is a massive um, rabbit they, hole to go down. And it all starts oh, yeah. with the ability <laughs> exactly. to recognize <laughs> that emotion in the voice. So once you've established that, yes. that will ripple out into the way the next generation technology responds to you. If it understands your frustration level, maybe that automated voice assistant will just directly connect you to a real human. Exactly. Think, so things like, so there's, there's advances to be made in terms of sensing our, um, our emotions and, and responding to that. There's a whole other category of, of sensing our emotions and making them visible to us or to others. So, um, so people who don't do so well at reading the emotion, or even for all of us who maybe are not so good at, at, at picking up little hidden cues, getting a tool that will help us understand better what other people are is going through their mind i mean so you know we're really on the verge of a black mirror episode here oh, yes. but uh <laughs> well actually but there's also great power in this we had an interesting conversation um with uh, one of our principal guests on future rhythmic cory doctor the science fiction author <gasps> he's one of my favorites i've read everything he's read written and we, we talked about um how to your point about how uh, even a technology that can recognize emotion for those who lack the ability to recognize emotion, those who are on the spectrum that that have that as, as an issue, they'll have technology that will assist them in understanding what that person that they're speaking to is, is really has going on in their heads. And in his point was that we're all only temporarily abled. So much technological advances, and, and particularly uh, speech to text and text to speech started off as the type of technology that you would use for those who had a specific disability. But as we age, we all in one way, shape or form become disabled ourselves. Yes. Whether it be sight, hearing, mobility, and to take technologies that are today being used for those who have a specific disability and Advancing the clock a decade or so, we find that these technologies are applicable to all of us. Yes. And the, the most e simple example of it is that speech to text. Yes. And, you know, and I think that one of the um, strongest use cases that we're going to have for augmented reality glasses when they finally come out in a version that's acceptable to consumers. So when the, the processing and the power are, are held in a way that they don't make them very heavy and clunky and things. Uh, and, and there's plenty of companies that are working on that. Um, I think one of the base use cases for augmented reality glasses will be real-time subtitles for the language that's going on around you. Mm -hmm. So that's something that, you know, I have the closed captioning on TV when I watch it just normally. I'm not hard of hearing, but, you know, it's it's nice to have the text on. Let's have text on while we talk to people in our lives. Um, I think that's going to be the kind of thing that really moves the needle in terms of acceptance of these things. Absolutely. And and as we get older and as we begin to lose our hearing, um, uh, you know, then even more so. But uh, I think that a lot of these things will actually be things that we will use well before we become disabled in any way. And actually, the the um, uh, the example that I wanted to get to with uh, Beyond Verbal, what they discovered 
um, as they were developing their Moody's, their emotions analytics, just by accident, and this happens again and again in this work, uh, you know, it's the penicillin eureka moment, because mm. I wasn't looking for that, but look how cool this is. They discovered that if you're starting to get um, arteriosclerosis, so build up a blockage in the veins and the arteries around the heart, then that is a physical change to your chest cavity. And a computer can hear that because it changes the way your voice resonates in your chest. And so now Beyond Verbal is working with um, the Mayo Clinic in the United States, which is a very well-respected medical facility, to develop this as a diagnostic tool. And so now we're getting into the category of auditory services, passive services that run in the background. And, and you know, would I pay a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a month to have a service running over my voice assistant or running over my phone? Or maybe if I'm more concerned about privacy, maybe running in the background in my doctor's office, but running in the background in some way that I know about it and I'm and I'm I've agreed to it. Always listening for my voice and the voice of my families and ready to alert me if it hears some kind of blockage in my veins and arteries around my heart. Absolutely, mm. I would pay for that. And I think many others would as well. Um, and then another case, um, even more to the heart of uh, uh, the, the networking opportunity, is uh, at the University of Northern Arizona, they use machine learning to understand um, the, uh, uh, the vocabulary of prairie dogs. And prairie dogs are, are rodents that live in communities and burrows under the ground in the desert. And their vocalizations all sound like, you know, rawr, they all kind of sound the same to us. Mm -hmm. But it turns out with machine learning, they were able to determine that there were, um, there's about 300 different concepts in prairie dog vocabulary, which blew the researchers' minds. Like, wow, we did, we thought we'd find something. We didn't think we'd find this much. So now um, uh, the, the workers there, they formed a company and they're looking at applying that same methodology to understanding the vocalizations and the body movements of dogs. So we're actually going to be able to understand what our dogs are saying to us. Yes. And not just dogs, but this actually opens up a, a, a Pandora's box for it. Do you have a technology that helps me understand what my 12-year-old daughter is saying? <laughs> Many people ask about their spouse. <laughs> <laughs> All of this technology, though, is, is powered not on my hip. It's not going to be powered on a computer sitting on my desktop. No. All of this next generation technology is going to be powered with what they call edge computing. Yes. In the cloud, stuff somewhere else. And what I love about the advances in technology is we often use as a as as a wedge technology video games. <laughs> Video games right now, that's the that's the real case use on the consumer level for virtual reality. But we know the real use for virtual and augmented reality is industrial and commercial. But it starts off as shooting bad guys in a virtual world. And in a similar vein, when it comes to edge computing, Google Stadia is cloud gaming. The ability to actually play video games without having to have that physical box doing all the heavy lifting for you. And I, I see that as a thin edge to the wedge as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and because the uh, 
the way that um, just going back to the being able to understand your dog um, example, the way that that works or would work just, you know, theoretically um, as a service would be imagine you're going out to walk your dog and you put on your augmented reality glasses and you're a consumer. So you do not you need to have glasses that actually are not going to be heavy and clunky and, and, and crazy and make people point and laugh when they see you on the street. They need to look like regular glasses. And in order to look like regular glasses, the processing has got to be not on the glasses. The processing has got to be in the cloud. But the processing has got to be close enough and the latency has to be low enough that when your dog makes a noise or makes a move, because you can have visual processing in here too, then the sub, you get a subtitle that actually is fast enough for it to be linked to the movement or the sound that you have just witnessed. Yeah, but how many of those responses are going to be nothing more than, oh, squirrel? <laughs> exactly, or feed me, or it's, but you know, I mean, this this use case uh, is particularly uh, resonant for me because I have a dog that I got as a rescue dog from a shelter, and we don't know his background, but he is um, extremely aggressive towards other dogs, and we think he was used in dog fighting. And, um, and so there are cases where there is a dog, another dog around the corner, and I, with my sad, pathetic human senses, do not know it's there, but my dog does, and my dog is getting ready to attack, and I'm not picking up on it, and we get around the corner, and my dog lunges at the other dog, and I was not prepared for that. I would actually pay a lot of money to be able to, you know, have that kind of heads up. And, and so, and, and, but then just the, the wider thing of understanding, you know, deep, more deeply, what exactly is it that my, that my beloved animal is trying to communicate with me? But, but the fact that it, you know, in the house, sure, that doesn't need to be an edge use case. Um, that can be covered with some kind of, uh, you know, or, you know, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no. But in the mobile environment, yes, it absolutely must be an edge use case because the processing can't be on the device and in the network is the only solution. But then, but it's the same thing for cloud gaming. And, and you're very right to mention that um, as the thin end of the wedge for cloud and for edge, because gaming right now, it's a $152 billion existing business that has a mobility problem. Right, I've got two sons, they're 11 and 14, so I'm like... Oh, never a quiet moment in your house. Exactly, and so I totally, I know this one, you know, very well. My kids both play Fortnite, and and for, in Fortnite, the games are short, but <laughs> quite often, it's like, guys, ah, time to go. And like, oh, mom, I just need to finish my game. Now, Fortnite already has mobile portability. You can seamlessly move from your game that you started on a console and pick up your mobile phone and seamlessly move to it and then continue to play in the car as you're driving to, as I'm driving you to the soccer game, for example. <laughs> yes. But my, my kids refuse to do it because as soon as they switch to mobile, they just get killed because the mobile network is not powerful enough and they're too slow and their opponents slaughter them instantly. Oh, that's going to change though. Well, it will, it will, but it's not going to change by accident because, you know, yes, the gaming needs to be in the network edge so that the latency is low. So, uh, and, 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 and in real terms, we're talking the processing needs to be from 50 to 100 kilometers away from the end user. So that's really very close. And that's, that's closer than all of the big players, you know, all the big hyperscale players, you know, the AWSs and the, the Azures out there. Their nodes, they've got nodes around the world, but they're not that close. The, the entities that have the distributed networks that have the nodes in them that could carry the gaming are operators globally. 
operators have that distributed network, right? And that's that's one of the really important things. But the other thing is, you don't just build a network and slap 5G into it and then drop gaming into a node and expect to be done because you're not done. Because the network has got to be optimized for gaming. If you look at um, uh, the example, one of the first cloud services to come out was um, Sony. Four years ago, they launched PlayStation Now in which you you know you can use uh, you know a, a, a dumb terminal so you don't need a PlayStation to play PlayStation games that are held in the cloud, and this is all over wireline. Uh, uh, but you know after four years they only have 700,000 users, and this compares with a game like say Apex Legends which launched in February of this year, and it had 50 million users globally users globally in the first month. So PlayStation to have 700,000 users after four years. You know, that's good, but in gaming terms, it's actually not a success. And why? Why is this not working over wireline? Because even over wireline, um, the processing points are too far away from the end user. And wireline, it's still best effort because it's not actually an optimized network for gaming. And, um, you know, and you've got, you know, this kind of, you know, uh, best effort Wi-Fi quite often is the last leg. And, and, you know, the user numbers tell us that that is not good enough. So if 5G is going to be um, a contender and we ha and 5G and, well sorry and cloud gaming has this problem it's got a latency problem and a mobility problem that 5G implemented properly will fix and we've got this 152 billion dollar existing business and these are people who are early adopters of technology and are willing to spend money in order to achieve their goals this is a perfect storm to make money in this particular uh, segment because operators are the ones who can provide the 5G connected to an end node that is within 100 kilometers of the consumer that actually has the brand name partnership with the cloud provider in the node and then to then optimize the network all the way along for gaming to get the four, five, nines in the network slice. Um, that is what you need to be competitive. Now, obviously, all Four, of five nines. What is that? That means so. If you think about the um, the uh, uh, the uptime of the network, um, you want the network to be there and to be available. Um, nine ninety nine point nine 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 nine. I think that was five nines. Ah. After the, it's five nines after the decimal point is what we're talking right. about. Yeah. Okay. If the network goes down, you lose your Fortnite tournament and you get very angry at your provider. So, and not even just goes down, but just goes slow. End of the world. I think what you brought up, though, is a very interesting point about the network operators and their future. Because, as you've pointed out, um, a lot of these network operators, whether, you know, in Canada, by example, you've got Bell and Rogers and, and TELUS and, and others. Um, their big fear is becoming the dumb pipe. They don't want to just be the distributor of other people's ones and zeros. That is a low commodity price environment. They need to have value added. They need to be able to provide more than just the bits uh, translated into my home. And this would be an opportunity for them to do that sort of thing, to be able to take advantage of their existing infrastructure. You've got a tower, uh, you've got towers spread out throughout a city and throughout a country. And all of those towers have within 
and certainly closer than 150 kilometers, the necessary infrastructure to feed the, the data going in and out of those towers. So there's the opportunity therein for those dumb pipe operators to smarten up. Exactly right. Exactly right. This is the major opportunity that our industry is facing right now. And, um, and so it's an opportunity to move up the value chain by leveraging that distributed network to provide services that require low latency and require some kind of processing. Because both the 5G gaming and the augmented reality um, subtitles, whether for humans or for dogs, it all follows the same structure. It all follows processing in a distributed edge. And um, uh, and, and that really is the way that, uh, that our industry goes beyond uh, the value chain and leverages, as you said, the existing assets. This is not too much of a stretch. Um, this is not asking anyone to change their business. But sometimes when I'm talking to some of our, our operator customers, they say, no way, you are asking me to change my business. You're asking me to become a gaming company. You're asking me to become an analytics company. And, I, and, and so my answer to that is actually one of the other big trends that I'm seeing. It's like, no, I'm not asking for you to develop your own games. You know, if you come out and if you launch Fortnite, Nobody's going to take that up. It needs to be Fortnite, right? Um, and so um, I, what I'm saying is that you need to partner. You need to partner with the brands and the people with the expertise to bring that computation into the network. The things that operators bring to the table are, yes, the existing network, but also some bread and butter things that we take for granted in our industry, but that are not taken for granted in other industries that don't exist. Things like device management, things like billing, things like being able to run a subscription, things like being able to provide customer care. All of those elements are absolutely second nature and at the core of what operators do. But if I'm, um, if I'm, uh, uh, I don't want to pick on any of the big gaming platforms. I'll just say, if I'm a, a, a dog translation company number three from Silicon Valley, I'm probably a startup and I have one big asset, which is my dog translation software. I don't have anything else. And so I'm going to need a partner to bring this to market and the operator is the one who's going to need the dog translation software. But the operators need to get out of the mindset of, we can build it all, we can do it all, we can do this all in-house. We need to, as an industry, get much more to a partnership and collaborative way of working. And I think that's actually, almost counterintuitively, that's the way we move up the value chain by being more flexible to work with other people. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.